Amen. How y'all doing today? Y'all all right? Good, 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 good. Um, I'm excited about songs like that. Be to our God forever and ever. And I told him, first, for the first service, I told him, I said, see, see, when we bless Jesus, it like doesn't make God the Father mad. Like he's not like, where mine at? The Holy Spirit not like, see how they treat Jesus? Like, we're, like people don't recognize that they like it when Jesus is glorified. Like they don't get jealous of each other. They so fly and they so, you know what I'm saying? They, they, they so, they, they have, they are very sufficient and satisfied in themselves. And so they don't go through identity issues. I love that about God. And I just love that. And he's, he just, he's just a good God. And so we give him honor and glory and praise. So we've been going through our core values. Say core values. Yeah, this is important. Um, core values is what anyone should have um, that helps them to be able to be pointed in very strategic and particular ways in their life. And for the Christian, you know, we are called to be people of vision. Now, when we talk about being people of vision, we're not talking about like just some old man, I want to start a business vision. Like, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about bigger than that. That's too small. Or just starting, like that's, when we say vision, well, God got a business for me. Amen. God got a car for me. Amen. God got this for me. God got, no, vision is bigger than you. Vision always includes all of God's people of all times in particular context to him. And so when we talk about, when we, when we talk about core values, we say, we believe that the Bible has vitamins A to Z in it. Now, the issue is we use what's called core values as a way to summarize those into a multivitamin pill that we present to one another so that we can say, what is it that we hold in common that can be a summation of things, not overwhelming, but still give us clarity on what the heart of God is after. And so we've taken these things and we're on our last core value today. I want you to repeat after me. Our first core value is Christocentrism. Christocentrism. That means that we believe that Christ must be centered, not first. He's not first. If you first, you just check him off if he's first, and then you just do what you want after that. But if he's center, he permeates everything because everything was made for him. Jesus had plans for everything, so he should permeate and saturate everything. So that's why we believe in Christocentrism. Commitment. Say commitment. The Bible says that they were devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. In both life and lips, they were doing this. And so we believe that Christians should be committed. It's not this thing where we say that, you know, you get saved and you can do what you want to do. That's not in the Bible. Find it. Get saved. All you need is to heaven. If the gospel is heaven, then you're going to hell. Because God is heaven. <laughs> Somebody going to catch that on the way home. Christocentrism, commitment, community. Community, meaning not little C community, but big C community, that Christians should do life together. What fellowship, what koinonia does light have with darkness? So Christocentrism, commitment, uh, a, a community, a conversions. We talked about conversions, and we believe in authentic conversion. We believe that every Christian in their commitment should be committed to God, Christ, but then we also believe in conversion. We believe in sharing our faith. We believe in people getting discipled, going from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. And if someone is truly converted, it is not an option for you to grow. 
So we, we value Christians growing. <laughs> How many of you value that? Yeah, but then last but not least, we're going to talk about today is culturally relevant ministry. Say culturally relevant ministry. Yeah, yeah. It's not what you think, though. See, many people, when they think about culturally relevant ministry, they think about culturally relevant ministry, you know what I'm saying, from the, from the effect and from the idea of just being smooth or something. You know what I'm saying? Flying everything. But when you look at the Bible, it was some real relevant dudes in the scriptures that really weren't cool. They, they were not cool, but they were deeply relevant. Many people think relevance is, is having flat screens all over the church. Some people think relevance is being rich. The only way you can minister to people is if you got loot. Well, that means Jesus wasn't relevant. That means Paul wasn't relevant. Paul was relevant some of the time. He said, sometimes I had a lot and sometimes I had a little. So that means he wasn't relevant. Okay? So, so this is some distorted views of relevance. Before we dive into this text, I want us to have a really, really, I want us to be undistorted in our view of relevance. So one of the things that we talk about is being cool. People think being cool. Let's plant a cool church. Let's get earrings and tattoos, and therefore we're relevant. Let's get on Facebook. Let's get on MySpace. Let's get on Twitter. If you're not tweeting, you ain't in, you ain't in the loop of relevance, right? If you ain't tweeting, you know. You saw my t- like, and Twitter's cool. I think it should be a great missionary ground. However, like, that doesn't mean you're relevant in and of yourself because you're techie-ish. Just because you're a techie. I made up a word. Don't look at me like that. Techie-ish. All right? The pastor said from the pulpit, you got to put it in a dictionary now, all right? <laughs> but there are three main, really, especially in the church, there are really three main distortions of what we would call relevance. Number one, um, loving the world and loving God only. Something's missing there. Some people say, well, I love God and I love the people out in the world. Therefore, that makes me relevant. But God has a means in which he promotes relevance and it's through the church. So you can't like God, like the people in the world, and don't like Jesus' wife. It don't work that way. Try not liking my wife and see if you can be in a relationship with me. Amen. Amen, married people? Amen. Number two, loving God and the church. So some people say, well, I love God and I love the church, but I don't like the world. So what I do is I go to all Christian, I watch Christian TV I do my devotions in the morning. I go through the one-year Bible. I come, I'm at church every night. I'm at praise and worship. I'm in the dance ministry. I mean, I love the church, and I love God, and all I listen to is Christian music. If it, like, I listen to Christian rock, Christian classics, Christian rap, uh, Christian bake, Christian fried. I only go to Christian, I go to Christian nightclubs. I, 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 <laughs> I wear Christian clothing. I get Christian haircuts. I go to the Christian beauty shop. I drink Christian water. I drink Christian. I mean, you're just Christian. You know what I'm saying? And you, and you, know, the, you know the ones that's like that? Every one of their t-shirts got a Christian slogan on it. That's when you know they like that. Y'all know I'm telling the truth. You got Christian everything. But that don't mean you're relevant. You know what I'm saying? Because you're isolated from mission. Number three. Loving the church and loving the world. Some people are like, I like, like, I like being around God's people. I like praise and worship, especially when they're doing this, and I like all that. And I like being out with people in the world, just being about people. But when it comes to God and what he wants you to believe and, you know, I, I don't really like him much. Like, but there are people like that. You know what I'm saying? And so, and so we're trying to bash those sacred cows in. And what we want to do as believers is we want to begin to get really a bibliocentric, say bibliocentric. 
That means the, that means the Bible, the Bible cultivates and emphasizes how you think, and it informs it. It's not you taking and quoting it based on what you want to inform it to say. And so we're going to look at culturally relevant ministry really from a real biblical perspective today. So when we say at Epiphany Fellowship that we believe in culturally relevant ministry, we say Epiphany Fellowship will contextualize its ministry by sound understanding of the biblical text and a sound understanding of specific cultures, plural, that God has sent us into for the purpose of reaching the lost. We want to remain uncompromisingly faithful to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In addition, Epiphany Fellowship will seek the shalom or the peace of the city in which it ministers through both spiritual justice and social justice. So we're not a people that believes in a social gospel only. Right? Social gospel means you just do good things for people in the community, and that means you're preaching the gospel. No, the gospel is both in, done in word and deed. Okay? So you can't have one without the other. And so today, I, I want us to go into a text, a very familiar text, but I want us to really stew in it in context. So bear with me because we're going to go through some, a little bit of heavy exegesis and trying to kind of zoom it in so that we can see this from what the text really wants us to believe about this idea of culturally relevant ministry. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. While you're going there, I'm going to give you some background. 1 Corinthians, they were the wild Christians. They were wilded out. Out. I mean, when I say out, I mean out. They were very, very spiritually gifted, but deeply spiritually immature. Chapter 1, they were, so, they were so spiritually immature that Christians got in cliques together in the church and were just hung with different ones and made sub-churches within the church. Now, I know that don't happen today. Um, latter part of uh, chapter 1, um, latter part of chapter 1, um, he begins talking to them about they like people in the world in the sense of they value the worldly philosophies of life more than they value God's philosophy of life. Chapter 2, Paul gets on them and kind of challenges them and helps them to work through the idea of the, the primacy of the gospel. We say the primacy of the gospel, it's first and central place and what role it's supposed to play in our way of thinking, our way of doing things. Not only that, in chapter 3, he begins going into really something interesting. He begins talking about them. He says, y'all need to grow up in chapter 3. He says, y'all need to grow the heck up. Grow up. It's time to move on in your Christianity. Chapter 4, he says, he talks to them about their need to respect God's leadership paradigm in the church. Number, chapter 5, he talks about church discipline. He talks to them about their arrogance in not applying church discipline. In chapter 6, the first part of chapter 6, he talks to them about their community relationships and lack of peace among the congregation to the point that the church will begin uh, to sue. People were suing each other and taking each other to court as Christians. Crazy. He said, Christians can't sue Christians. He said, the church is a, is a spiritual judicial system within itself where Christians are supposed to deal with peace issues with one another. Again, I'm just laying a foundation for context. Latter part of chapter 6, he talks to them about being freaks. They were freaks in Corinth. Foul sexually. Nasty, trifling, living just licentiously as it relates to their sexual morality. So he puts them on blokei blast for that. Chapter 7, first part of chapter 7, he tells families, uh, uh, couples, to begin being intimate again. 
He said, stop that foolishness. He said, when y'all were in the world, y'all were wilding. Now you get married and everything shut down. He says, I want you to start back getting together unless you're for a season of fasting. And, but then he says, but some of y'all are called to marriage. Some of y'all are called to singleness. Verse 17, he says, singleness is a calling. Marriage is a calling. I'm just laying context for where we're going today. Then in the latter part of that chapter, he says, singleness. Let me give you a biblical understanding of singleness. I wish all Christians were single. Paul said, if I, if I had the right to do he said, I would just wave a wand and every Christian will immediately be single and we'll just do missions all day and eat when necessary. <laughs> but, then, but then Paul, you know, in chapter 8, does something interesting. He begins to talk about the unbiblical use of their Christian liberties. And what he begins to do is he begins to chop it up with the Corinthian Christians about their lack of sensitivity to Christians who have not grown past certain things from a theological perspective. This didn't mean that these weak Christians were weak in all areas of their life, but there were certain things that they couldn't take um, in their Christian journey. So, in other words, the, the Bible talks about this idea of freedom, but they were abusing these freedoms. And so he was talking about the fact that they, back in the days, they had temples back then. Like most of the, like the majority back then in Gentile territory wasn't churches. Like you go to an inner city neighborhood, you see a bunch of churches, you stand on top of a building, or you look around, you see steeples. If you're on 95, going, going past North Philly, you look to your right, you look to your left, you see mass steeples, right? See, but back then, the dominant thing in the city was not churches. The dominant thing in the city was, was spiritual whorehouses called temples. And so, so, so the Corinthians back in, back in their B.C. days used to go into the temple, get it in with temple prostitutes, and they used to go sit down at the table and eat and have a good time and pour wild, food, like wilding, worshiping in their food and pour libations. They were having worship to all of these false gods. So some of the Christians, they became Christians, and they found out that there's no such thing as a real idol. There's only one God. And they was like, well, shoot. The food was good in the temple. They, they, made some good, they made some good ribs in the temple. The wine was good. Everything was good. So they said, we're going back. And we're going to hang out. So they get back up in there. They party. Everybody dancing on the table. So they go, they're like, and they just eating, grubbing, right? So the, the Christians, that they, they, they're maturing in the faith. They're watching and they're walking past. They're like, yeah, man. So we going to the, they walk past the temple. And they look in there and the party's going on. They're like, guys looking at each other like, like they're struggling because they remember what, they were in there doing, worshiping this other God. So for them, they couldn't see a Christian being in that environment without it being worshiped. So they were struggling with it. So it was like, it went like this, like out the door, like, they were like, and the guys sitting on the inside of the table, they said, oh, what's up, man? <laughs> Y'all coming in? You know, and it was like, and they kind of like falling back, like, yo, this is wild to me, right? And so Paul says that they weren't being considerate of Christians who didn't see in their theological framework what it would look like for that to allow them to be free to do that. And so Paul, in chapter 9, where we're going to be, begins talking about how he relates to his liberty in light of his freedoms. Okay? So look at verse 19. It says in verse 19, it says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews, to those under the law, um, I became as one under the law, though I'm not being, my, not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law, I became as one outside the law, not as, not as being 
uh, outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, he always has to qualify statements with the Corinthians because of their lack of maturity, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. I do it all for the sake of the gospel. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. So you see Paul here kind of giving you a reasoning behind his philosophy of missions. At Epiphany Fellowship, we believe that every Christian is a missionary, not just who we send overseas. You, by identity, are a missionary. So everything, when you identify yourself with Christ, and even when people don't know that you're in Christ, there should be on your self-expectations, even though others may not have any expectations of you, even though they do. Everyone has an expectation of someone, whether they know they're a Christian or not. But when they find out you're a Christian, there should be an, oh, that explains it. However, Paul deals with relevance differently. Most people think relevance is something different than what Paul would proclaim. And so here we're going to walk through basically three things that I want us to zoom in on in this text. The first thing I want us to understand in relation to culturally relevant ministry is our freedoms must serve other people. <laughs> our freedoms, I should have had Daryl rap today. This is the liberties. Dang, man. So angry. All right. Man. But our freedoms must serve other people. Now look at what Paul says. He says, for, he says, though I am free from all, powerful. Stop right there. We got to explain that. He says, I'm free from everybody. Now, let's understand when we talk about freedom, there are, there's, like, freedom is mad multidimensional. There are multidimensions to freedom. Now, remember from our Galatians series, where we said in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, that for freedom, Christ has set us free, right? Y'all remember that? Okay, for freedom, that means the purpose, one of the underlying purposes of being saved is so that you can be free. Now, most people look at the spoils of freedom without looking at the main place of freedom that gives you the ability to experience the spoils of freedom. Let me explain that. We were first freed most of all from the wrath of God. Selah. Selah. Just Selah for one second. Just Selah that thing. You were saved from an angry God. That's the first place of freedom. That means there was a beef between us and God, and he set you free, right? So Christ through the cross sets us free by freeing us up, freeing us up from not getting bashed by God for eternity. Now, in light of that, there's several things that we're freed from because God's wrath is the conduit which unleashes all other types of freedom. Y'all with me? So there's several places we get free from. We also get free from sin. The power, the penalty, and the presence. The presence. Y'all know one day we're not going to have any sin? You're not going to have to scratch no more. You're not going to have to, nothing. You won't have to go to the bathroom. You won't have to cut your hair. When your hair grows, it automatically just cut off. You won't need to put on deodorant. There'll be spiritual deodorant under your arms, whatever your flavor you like, lemon powder. Fresh scent, cotton, whatever you like. No scent. My mom, mother-in-law likes unscented, you know what I'm saying? Like there's going <laughs> to... Sorry, mom, I got you. Um, but <laughs> She said, TMI, TMI, baby, TMI. But, but, but there's a freedom, right? There's, we're like, we're going to be free from the presence of him. However, we're not free in this world from the sphere of sin. 
So therefore, there are certain freedoms that we have that we have to walk in to be able to think through how do we operate as Christians in this world, right? And so Paul says, Paul says, I'm free from all. He says, I'm freed in a mug. He said, listen, I'm, I, I mean, I got a lot of stuff I can be getting. Now, he's going to say it in verse 1. Look at verse 1 of chapter 9. Now, he's wigging out because he's frustrated for, about the Corinthians. He first, so he starts flossing a little bit because he says a little boasting is necessary. Christ-centered boasting. He says, am I not free? He says, am I not an apostle? He said, I'm an apostle. He says, have I not seen Jesus, Lord? He said, I was, like, y'all understand, I was blinded by the God. Like, Christ showed up. Who can say that? Christ, after he was raised and went to heaven, ascended, made a, a post-incarnational look at me and came in a vision and lit me up, and I was so blown away by him, I got blind. He said, have I not seen the Lord? He says, are not you, my workmanship. He says, I'm, he said, I'm the one that brought the gospel to y'all. Like, let me lay out my resume based on what I have the right to do, based on my resume. He says, if not, he says, if to others I am not an apostle, he says, at least to, at least I am to you. He says, for you are the seal of my apostleship. He says, this is my defense to those who would examine me. He says, do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord Cephas? He, put them on, he won't put them on blast, but he's like, like, I got a right to get a wife. Follow what he's saying. He says, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? He says, do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? Stay with me, y'all. Y'all got to let this lay that foundation for you. He says, for it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen? that God is concerned. Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. He says, if we have sown spiritual things among you, which we did, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do we not even more? Paul is like, I'm blown away right now. He says that you are exercising your Christian freedom at people's expense when you know how we came among you. We didn't come among you like, uh, uh, like, like most cats would. Cats coming up in there like, all right, um, we got some information to give you, but you got to do a $5 line for us, $5,000 line for us first. Give us $5,000. I did $10,000, $20,000. Okay, anybody got to, I, I'm, I'm sowing a seed of $1,000. For, like, they're coming in all like that. Paul's like, I, I didn't even come at you like that. I had the right to. But notice what he says in this beautiful, in the text, he says, he says, for though I am free, he said, I have a freedom to be able to benefit from the gospel. Beautiful. He talks about all of his benefits. He talks about his resume in relation to those benefits. But he's trying to help them in relation to biblical relevance. 
And then he says in the latter part, he says, I have made myself a servant to all powerful. Wow. He says, even though I'm free and I have the right to experience all of the spoils that is afforded an apostle who has sown among you, I didn't do them. Why? Check out verse 12b. He says, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right. Wow. So Paul says, we have the right to receive from you, but we shut down our ability to, to execute this right because of a particular reason. And this is what he says. Check it. He says, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Wow. So he says, my freedom is no longer freedom if my freedom gets in the way of the promotion of the gospel. See, when we planted Epiphany Fellowship, we didn't take up any offerings. Know why? Because we knew that y'all had issues with these punks on TV who are playing with the scriptures and talk more about money than they do the Messiah. And so because we came in that context, we said, we're not going to ask for nothing. What we're going to do is we're going to get supported from the outside so that we can rob other churches to serve you. That's what the Bible says. Paul said, I robbed other churches to serve. In other words, if any of our freedoms, are, if we think we're so free that we are no longer accountable to the gospel in our freedom, we put ourselves in bondage and others. I know that I'll probably never have a luxury car. I know I won't. Know why? Now, y'all got to understand, I wanted one. Now, I'm going to be honest. I wanted one. I used to in seminary go to the Range Rover dealer, and I sit in the Range Rover, and I smell the leather. I'll be like, oh, I'll just rub the, the wood. I'll be like, one day in the metal, I'll just like, bless you, bless you, bless your Range Rover. Amen. <laughs> and the people would come, may I help you? I said, nah, I'm just dreaming. They's like, okay, you want to test drive? I said, see, you don't know where I, where I grew up. I grew up 17th, Sanford <laughs> Ingraham. If you give me the keys to this, I may not come back with it. So, <laughs> so kick the dude that was helping me out of the car and just close the door. So I said, no, nah, just let me sit in the showroom. <laughs> but when I got a call to the inner city, when I received a call to the inner city, one of the things that I knew that preachers was perceived as pimps. So if I came around here in a fat Cadillac sitting on four falls or 26s, you know what I'm saying? With my top down, <laughs> if, if, if that would have happened when I like they would have been they would have had so many ops all the pictures they come with the preacher with the hat with the feather and the gold tooth and the stacks with the fishes in his doggone see I'd have been that dude that would have been an obstacle. See, he, see, and I'm starting to talk to them about the gospel, but they're thinking in their mind, no, he's trying to get me to the church to get in my pocket. So therefore, as some stuff I have, even though I'm free to have a luxury car, I don't do it because the freedom is an obstacle to the gospel here. But that don't mean I'm going to get a hoopty now. Now, y'all just tripping. <laughs> ain't God, God ain't glorified in backfiring and holes in the seat and getting stuck by the springs. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I'm, I'm, just saying, I'm just saying that to say like, like there's certain freedoms as we as Christians, 
We are missionaries and we have to live in, of course, being relevant sometimes is saying no. Paul says some things I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't do as much. I didn't take any loot from you. Matter of fact, in Thessalonica, he says, because so many of y'all were lazy, we got a job. He said to show y'all that y'all need to get a job. Because they were talking theology all day, the Thessalonians, talking theology and talking about the rapture and the wrath to come and no job. <laughs> Holler at us, Jesus. And so, and so, in other words, Paul, Paul was like, yo, you know what I'm saying? So, so, so I'm, I'm like, I'm, I'm, my life is to serve the gospel. I'm, my, I'm not here to serve my freedoms. When your freedoms are what you live for to serve, then you're no longer Christ-centered or Christocentrist, this Christocentristic. But, but, but you've now begun to serve your freedoms. The, the preachers today need to begin taking an L for the gospel. In other words, we need to say there's certain things I won't have, not because I can't have it, but because it is an obstacle to people getting saved and for Christians growing. It's a punk move. Well, you know, I'm going to, if I see one more dude in the pulpit talking about what kind of car he drives, I'm going to pick up the church with my bare hands <laughs> from the foundation and I'm going to toss it to another section of the city. I'm just going to scream in tongues. I'm serious. And, and so Paul was so booming about Paul as Paul says, I take an L for this. And like, like Paul wasn't cool. He wasn't cool. He didn't wear LRG. He didn't wear the flash Jewish gear, the coolest Gentile gear. He was not cool. He got, he got the smackdown on his back. Several times, lashes. He looked like Roots if you pulled off his shirt. Like on Roots when Kuta Kente went like that, that was Paul's back. Paul says, that's what makes me relevant. Paul said, I was stoned, left for dead, fam. I got bald spots from getting my hair pulled out. That's relevant. He said, it's relevant that I got the beat down for the gospel. The apostles was like... We, they worshiped when they got the opportunity to share in the power of the gospel. Jesus says, blessed are those who suffer for my name's sake. That's relevant. See, next time you go through a trial, you need to bless his name because you're being relevant right there. Yeah, you, you're missing it. See, you're going through, you're getting talked about, you're getting lied on, you're getting frustrated, you're getting hurt for the sake of the gospel, but you're wondering why, and it's because God is just trying to make you relevant. You thought relevance was your crib, your car, your girl, your boy. No, it ain't that. It's identifying with the reality and centrality of the beauty of who Jesus is and that being made known in your life. He set you free, but put you back in bondage. When he sets you free, he put chains back on you. He said, okay, you're free from the devil, but you're chained to me. <laughs> You thought you was done. Oh, it's over. I can... No. No, you back in bondage. But see, bondage with Jesus is freedom. It's freedom. See, you thought he's trying to stop me. No, he's trying to get you. And so, 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 so we, we're trying to talk through this idea of Christians who live their lives subserviently. Oh, help me, I got to move on. But he said, I don't want anything to be an obstacle to the gospel. Nothing. 
Nothing. Nothing to get in the way of Jesus being blown, people being blown away by my Savior. We're not trying to get people blown away by Epiphany Fellowship. Help me, somebody. We're not trying to get, I, I like when Pastor Larry was in a meeting, elders meeting, he was saying, you know what I'm cons my concerns, brothers, is that we get known for, I'm not trying to, Even Josh laughing. Josh like, that's you, Dad. That's you, Dad. <laughs> and, we were, and we were talking in the meeting, and, and, and one of the things that we was looking at is he was saying, one of the things I'm afraid for us is that we'll get known for Reformed theology. Now, he's not, he's not knocking doctrine. He says, and not the love of Christ, which is a doctrine. You catch that? Jesus said, Jesus didn't say we'll know them by their reformed theology. He didn't say that. Mom, somebody ought to say like the old church, mom, mom, mom. We won't be known by our reformed theology. We're supposed to be known by our love for one another. Doctrine and duty. Beautiful, right? And so Paul is saying that that's what relevance centers on. He says, I have made myself a servant that I might win more of them. Now, this word win is an interesting word in the Greek. It means to acquire by effort and investment. I like that. To acquire something by, by, by investment or by effort. That means what we're doing as Christians, when we die to our freedoms, we're trying to move the obstacles out of the way so that our, our dying to ourselves may be an investment in somebody seeing Jesus and coming to him or someone growing in the Lord Jesus Christ. So you're making an investment. See, many times, if you know you're making an investment when you're taking away from something to put it somewhere else. That's an investment. That's called sacrifice. So you can't win. win winning, winning, making an investment hurts temporarily. It always hurts when you got to set aside money that you want to spend on some new sneaks. I wanted to buy, dang, guess I got to put this away. But it hurts temporarily, but you're like, dang, I'm glad I didn't wild out for temporary gain. Why? Because winning is investing. The word here for slave, he says, I made myself a servant. It means self-enslavement. Inducing on yourself personal servitude, indentured servitude to Jesus. <clears throat> and so he wants to make himself a slave. And he's, he's basically pointing to the fact even, he's not a slave to methodology, applicationally. And I think the church needs to be very careful of being enslaved to methodologies. But winning is also related to conversion. Now, we're supposed to offend for the right reason. So relevance many times means, let's take the offense. See, y'all are too deep, see? Y'all want to tell all that gospel. Like, people, all they need to know is Jesus loved them. All they need to know is that God is good. All they need to know is about heaven. Neither three of those is the gospel. NYCHA, three of them. <clears throat> now, we want to offend for the right reasons, not the wrong reasons. Our offense shouldn't be in us wrongly exercising our freedoms, but the offense should be into someone getting engaged properly by the gospel. If somebody got offended for the right reasons by the gospel, then that means you're relevant. Because that means the gospel actually hit them. That's what relevance is. So, so we don't, guess what we don't kick out? We don't kick out five things. Number one, we don't kick out showing God can be approached in his holiness by humans. 
You, know, you think you could just walk up on God, huh? You know, I know the homies around the neighborhood, they got their 40s, and when their brothers die, man, this is for Juju and Junebug. It's in heaven, man. Junebug, man, I love Junebug ain't up there if you don't know Jesus. But and you telling people, well, that's not actually true. He may not be there. Yeah, I know how I feel about the inner city funeral, sending people to heaven that never knew Jesus. I know he's upstairs looking down on us. No, he not. No, he not. Just say something else. Don't, don't start lying on the holiness of God. And I know God let him in. Wow, so that means God isn't holy and he doesn't deal with sin? He's holy. Therefore, God has to show us that he is more than just love and good. That's offensive. But I know the God I serve, and the one I serve won't hurt nobody. What Bible? What, where, where did you get that from? The gospel. What, what, now, now, see, that, that's what I got a problem with y'all. See, that God in the Old Testament, see, he different than that one. I like the New Testament one. He, well, okay, let's measure that up. David in the Old Testament slept with Bathsheba. Under the law, he should have got stoned. God was gracious and just said the sword will never depart from your household. Oh, he did that? Yeah. Acts chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira, Christians, lied to the Holy Ghost, the ghost. And he right-hooked them immediately. <laughs> well, I didn't know that. Y'all yeah, know, because you got a God of your own imagination. Because God's goodness and his love is holy. Did you hear that? He's holy love, not love, fuzzy love. I feel in my heart, well, your heart isn't the heart of God. So, 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 holiness, <coughs> we got to show that man is simple. See, we, we just need some tweaking. No. Man is jacked up. <coughs> We're trifling. My daddy say, raggedy is a can of kraut. Raggedy. Trifling. We show man is sinful. That's offensive. But that's relevant if somebody gets that they're sinful. See, relevance is them understanding the gospel, not just your cool presentation of it. Do you understand that? That's the difference. That's why Paul's relevant. Look how I got beat. Like, I'm just letting you know, through many trials and tribulations, we must enter the kingdom. So once you become a Christian, trials get worse. They don't get better. Why would I want to be that? See, well, you're probably not going to be able to be saved because you're not going to understand a real Jesus. It's a mystical, mystical Jesus. We show that our sin causes eternal separation from God. Hell exists. We show that there is only one provision that God accepts. Well, how are you going to say it's only one way? See, that's what I, I, I hate with you Christians. Always talking about God, Jesus is the only way. There are many ways. How are you going to say the guy over here who's doing his thing isn't, you know, doing it to hit the glory of his God and to see, see, see we're going to struggle with you. Because he said, I am the way, ego I me, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father unless by me. If anyone comes by any other way, they're a thief and a robber. So Jesus is the only way. Crazy, right? But then finally, in this section, we show that repentance and faith are the way to connect with God through Christ. So you got to repent. That means you got to admit you raggedy and turn to the one who's not, Jesus. 
Have faith in him by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, and you get saved. That's the means. So those are the ways in which we're culturally developed. We're trying to convey that. That when we talk about cultural development ministry, we're talking about working hard in our lives as Christians, not to be cool, but we want to be conveyors. And so, and so, and so it's real, real rich how he walks in this section. Next point. Our freedoms must create common ground with the lost. Common ground. Paul says in verse 20, he says, the Jew, to the Jews I became as Jew. He says, in order to win the Jews... To those under the law, I became under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. That's funny. Paul basically, it's interesting, when you read Paul and when you look at his presentations of the gospel, he, saw, he starts out with men of Israel. He can't just start out with their, you know, he can't just start out, I'm a minister to the Gentiles. They'd be over. They wouldn't listen to him. So he said, he says, men of Israel, remember our fathers from old through Moses and the prophets. So they're like, oh, he's on point. He has to create common ground. He even did that with Timothy. Timothy in Acts 6, he got a little, little Tim. Tim was a beast, but Tim was going to go with him on a missionary journey. And so Tim, he said, that, he said there's one issue, though. You ready? He said, yeah, Paul, I'm ready to go with you. He says, snip, snip, bro. He's like, hmm? No. He's like, you're going to have to get circumcised. Because Paul went to the, he said, and when you look through all the book of Acts, it says he went to the Jews first. He would always go to the synagogue first. So if they went to the synagogue and they just saw Timothy, they'd have been like, he sounds Jewish, but he looked gelato to us. <laughs> like mixed, Jewish and Greek. He's Jeek or, you know, uh, we, what is he? You know, we don't know what he is. He's a geek. We don't know, like, we're trying to figure out What's his ethnicity? Well, he would have said, it, Paul would have said, well, yeah, he has a Greek father. He said, oh, see, you doing, how are you going to have him all? He said, but he's circumcised. Oh, okay, cool, you know, if he's circumcised. So it wouldn't have been, but remember, he took a dive because that would have been an obstacle to the gospel. See that? Now, I don't, now, see, if Paul came to me, me and him would have to work through some things. I said, there's some other ways we're going to have to die. I said, when they mention circumstances, just skip the subject. You know what I'm saying? Well, look at God doing work in the weather. Like, we'd have had to go somewhere else. Because I wouldn't at, like, teenage plus going, God help us. So then he says that he's, but, but listen, he didn't put himself under the law legalistically as the law as a rule of life, but as the rule of Christ. But then he goes and he says, to those outside the law, I became outside the law. When he went to the Areopagus, when he went to in Acts chapter 17, he, he went around and he said, he didn't go in there talking about men, men of Greece, with the, with the God of our father. He's like, who, are they, who is he talking to? God of our fathers of old. He, now he says, he went, he said, I've been walking through your city, big man. He said, and um. He said, there's a lot of God, y'all religious up in here. I mean, y'all real religious. I mean, you got, you got homie like this, standing like this, the God, of, you know, lightning and running. You got the other guy, you know, like this, and you got the lady like that, and all of them on the Areopagus, and you got all of these sides. But he said, but I want to talk about that God right there. He said, which one? That one doesn't have a place. He said, yeah, I know him. They were like, for real? Bring everybody in. Everybody comes in. And he begins talking about the God that they didn't know about. And told them all of the other gods aren't really gods. And they wanted to beat the snot out of them. For the right reasons. 
Because he wanted to show them the true God above all. That's relevance. See, you think because somebody mad at you, oh, I, didn't, I made a mistake. No, that's normal. It's relevant for beef to happen when Jesus comes up. If it doesn't, then you're presenting another Jesus. I hope I can just grain that into us today. <laughs> then he said, to the weak, I became weak. <coughs> That I might win the week. That means some of us, you know, we know drinking isn't a sin, but some of us, you know, all types of ways in which we apply our liberties. We know drinking isn't a sin, but, you know, you can't be, oh, come on in, huh? You know, and people are like, oh, man, I was, I, you know, what's happening right now? You know, like wet bar out, you know, and you kind of like, I'm struggling right now. Cats, you know, like, in other words, if that's an obstacle to the gospel, then you have to do that in another environment. <clears throat> now, if you get drunk, you shouldn't do it in no environment. <laughs> Amen, lights and walls. <clears throat> but in other words, and if it's such an obstacle, you must be willing to take a dive. Wow. He says, I have become all things to all men in order that I might by all means win some. So we need people who by God's grace. Now, Paul is not saying I use anything. That's not what he's saying. He says I use that which is of redeemable value that doesn't get in the way of Jesus being seen and the gospel being preached in order to not present any obstacles, but I use means that people can be connected to in order to proclaim God's truth. He says I become all things. That doesn't mean he becoming, he putting on a costume, acting like he's someone else. If it's not you, it's not you. Becoming all things is not about putting on an outfit. He says that by all means, I might win some. So you must, so we as Christians, we must begin maximizing all of the tools made available to us as Christians to be able to engage people with the gospel of peace. We need people even in places like school teachers in Philly. <laughs> we need policemen, business owners. Not Christian businesses. Now, let me say that. Somebody, everybody think because you're a Christian, you got to start, you are a Christian starting a business. Christ should saturate that business. Like, I, I'm going to start a Christian law firm. Like, what are you talking, like, you know, we got Christian t-shirts, Christian earrings, Christian hairdos, Christian barbershops, Christian socks, Christian's ear, like, Oh, help me. Just be a Christian. That's all we need. And do your business biblically. And don't lie on your books. Don't lie on your taxes. How about that? As a school teacher, when the school teachers flirt with you, don't flirt back. As a police, if, if you're at a job and there's a lot of money there and nobody has to know, don't take it. Because God will know. Wow. Stay-home moms. Maximizing being a stay-home mom. Construction workers. Artists. Rappers. Christian rappers. Now, that what we say. I'm struggling with you. Just wilding. Singing. Instrumentation. Sculpting. Drawing. All types of art. Technical art. We need people in all spheres of life showing off Jesus' glory. And in you showing off Jesus' glory, you can't promote sin, though. You can't do missions work and be a missionary and help a company 
or any type of sphere of life promotes sin because you're no longer a missionary for God, you're a missionary for the devil now. That's why he says, by all means, but it points to the gospel is the, is the way. In other words, it shouldn't be an obstacle to that. So he must remain constant in the centrality of the gospel. So what Paul wasn't saying so I want to be the coolest missionary of all times. He's not saying I want to be the most innovative or I want to be the most cutting edge. What Paul is saying is I want to be faithful to Jesus, the gospel, my brothers and sisters in Christ, and the lost. And then finally, in verse 23, powerful, he says, I do it, what? Went, try to win people. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Powerful. And so what Paul begins to say is, the, the, what I'm saturated with and why I do this is I do it for the sake of the gospel. So I surrender my understanding of mission to the promotion and direction and the depth of the gospel. And so what do we apply from this? Where, where do we go from here after we've done all of this work in the text? Well, what are we saying? We got to ask ourselves, how do I need to die? Ask yourself that today. How do I need to die? What in my life is an obstacle for people seeing Jesus in my life right now? What? What in my life is, is a, an, an eclipse to the cross? What? What? In what ways are my freedoms an obstacle to Jesus' mission? So key expressions for us, a couple of things. I'm shutting it down. <clears throat> we believe here as a church, we believe in what's called penal substitutionary atonement. And what do we mean by that? We mean that it means that it refers to the doctrine that Jesus Christ died on the cross as a substitute for sinners. God imputed the guilt of our sins to Christ, and he, in our place, bore the punishment that we deserve. That's penal substitution. That's substitutionary atonement. So, so that this was a full payment for our sins, not partial payment, not layaway, not a monthly payment plan. It was tetelestide, which satisfied both the wrath of God and the righteousness of God so that he could forgive sinners without compromising his own holy standard. So that's what we believe in. Now, there are, one day I'm going to do a, a series on theories of the atonement or expressions of the atonement. However, under that view of atonement, we believe in something called Christus Exemplar. Christus Exemplar orbits penal substitutionary atonement. Penal substitutionary atonement is this piece, but now Christus Exemplar now points to, in light of him dying for us and him living in and through us, we're the glove, he's the hand. Now we exemplify who he is through his death. By practicing and reflecting who he is, because Christus exemplar means Jesus our example. So if he's our example, and he's the world's example, if we're the body of Christ and Jesus is ascended into heaven, therefore he's left us here to be Christus exemplar. In his place, by his power, but it's him that we're pointing them to, not us. Because we don't preach ourselves, but we preach Christ and him crucified. So Christus exemplar, Christ our example, follow me as I. Yes, that's Christus exemplar at its best. The things that Paul said, the things that you've learned and seen and heard in me, practice these things and the God of peace shall be with you. 
Christus exemplar. So guess what we need? Christus exemplar and Christians being present in the city. We need Christus exemplar in, in, in godly single living. Hallelujah. We need Christus exemplar in our view of entertainment. Does Christ as your examples apply how you enjoy yourself and your fun? We need Christus exemplar in how we love one another. We need Christus exemplar in, exemplar in how we handle trials. We need Christus exemplar in how we recover from conflict. We need Christus exemplar in the way we repent of sin. We need Christus exemplar in how we raise our children. Whether you made a mistake and had a child out of wedlock, you're still supposed to be practicing Christus exemplar. <laughs> Both married and single, if you are a dad and you had a baby out of wedlock, pay child support. Christus exemplar. Don't you be no punk. Help me, God. Christus exemplar in how we treat our spouses. Christus exemplar in how we spend our money. Everything is open for the relevance of the gospel. Everything in our life is supposed to show him off. That's why our mission statement is showing off the glory of Christ in every, every, every area of life. That's why. Because everything in our life must point upward. Everything. Everything. When we say everything to have breath of prison, that's not, a, that's not an aquium. That's real for the Christian. Whether you eat or drink, do it all to the glory of God. In him was pleased to dwell the fullness of God in bodily form. Everything was made in him, for him, through him, by him, that all things. God is not satisfied until everything is under Jesus' feet. He's not satisfied. He says, you can't go back yet. Hold on. Jesus kind of standing like this. He said, hold on. Everything ain't under your feet yet. Because he's coming back to put the rest of it under his feet. And when he comes back, he's determined. Now, now, now some people are going to do it because of God giving them the grace to choose. But some people are going to be made to bless him and to glorify him. Now, the question is, which are you today? Which are you today? Are, are, are you in here today, family? And you got to be forced futuristically because everybody, the Bible says every knee will bow. The angels are going to put a sword in your back. Get on your knees. God the Father is present. Sit down. But see, those of us who have been saved by the blood, we'll just be doing like this. Or you don't, uh, send an angel on the other side of heaven. I, I, See, those who've been bought by the blood don't have to be forced to bless him. See, if you've been blood bought, oh, you get to the angel somewhere else. I'm bless you, God. Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your word. I'm gonna bless you for eternity. But everybody else, you know, you oh, you know, oh, you oh, you think you angels 20 feet tall, clack house. That's gonna go down. Ugh. Now, then he's going to say, go to hell after that. He's going to say, go to hell. So who are you today? 
Are you going to choose to worship Jesus? Or are you going to be forced? Maybe you're here today and you don't know him. The gospel has been preached. <laughs> I don't say that with no swag. <laughs> so maybe you're here today and you don't know him. You've been fronting on him. Going, getting, in, getting saved is not about getting stuff. It's about getting a person. Bible says, and this is eternal life. That you may know God and his only son whom he sent. Heaven without God is boring. <laughs> so we, we, we trust Jesus to be in a relationship with God. Maybe you're here today, you need to repent. Every head bow, every eye close. You trust in him and him alone. Trust in him, him alone. Maybe you're here and you've never repented of your sin. And trusted Jesus Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone. God is not going to answer all your questions before you trust him. <laughs> but he gives you an eternity to spend with him for your questions to be answered. But once you get into your, his presence, you're going to forget about your questions because you're going to see him. If you're here today and you want to trust Christ, Christ alone for salvation, repent of your sin and turn towards him. Slip your hand in the air. Slip your hand in the air. We just want to connect with you. I see that hand in the balcony. Maybe someone else, maybe someone else that, that wants to trust the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior. I see that hand. Yeah, anyone else? We need to make sure one of our connection team gets with uh, this young lady after the gathering. Anybody else? Anybody else? I see that hand in the back. See the hand in the back, connections team, another person right there. Anyone else? It's okay. 